Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into the third hour this Tuesday. We do so with the wonderful Lewis Hallman. He and his dad, Hugh, who will be with us next week. He's been on international uh, travel and work. Uh, Lewis Hallman uh, and Hugh Hallman join us every Tuesday to talk COVID and other domestic politics. Uh, Lewis is the um, managing partner at the Insight Analytics LLC firm, Insight Analytics LLC. Lewis, I couldn't wait for us to get together this week and talk. There is so much that transpired since you were last here. Um, and, and, and I don't even really know where to begin except to ask you, starting with this, of everything that's been said about masks, about vaccines, about the changing directions that the CDC has put us through. Don't mask if you're vaccinated and mask if you're vaccinated. Going back to last year, don't mask, wear a mask, wear two masks, don't mask. Um, what, when you think about what's taking place and what we should know about the Delta variant and vaccinations, does your research show you? Okay, so the first and major important piece of this that I think everyone is getting wrong is that we keep talking about vaccinated and unvaccinated people as if these populations have fairly similar attributes and that we would then expect them to behave in comparable ways. And I would like to be very clear here in that these populations are actually very dissimilar in Maricopa County, for instance, the average age of the vaccinated population is 35. For the uh, sorry, the unvaccinated population is 35. The average age of the vaccinated population is 48 here. So this is a massive gap, and you can actually see this borne out in the some of the 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 data about COVID cases amongst each. So Seth, we were talking about some some work that someone had had sent to you in which the claim was being made that you were more likely to die of COVID if you had the vaccine because you had a higher case fatality rate. Now, the problem with this analysis is that it ignores this age problem that I've been talking about. If you take into account the fact that the, the vaccinated population is 15 years older, and again, the fact that for every 10 years older an individual is, they are about 10 times more likely to die of COVID, then suddenly it seems that these uh, 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 elevated mortality rates are actually pretty germane. They're in line with what you would expect. So it doesn't look like the vaccine is exacerbating these kinds of bad outcomes. That would be the first piece. Now, the second piece is who is getting COVID cases. Now, it's very difficult to tell how many vaccinated people are contracted COVID-19. This is partially because it requires sort of a longer chain of data to establish that they have been vaccinated, they have had the, the, the positive test, and it just it's more information to collate together. So you'll tend to get fewer positive results just because there's more effort involved. But the other issue, though, is that um, as we uh, increase sort of our, our, our vaccination and as we, we vaccinate more and more people... Um, we then have sort of a 
a different uh, uh, type of people who are likely to get vaccinated. So, so vaccinated people, the people who have gotten vaccinated also, they're less likely to go outside. They're more likely to wear masks. They're mm-hmm. more likely to do all these things. So one of the confounding factors that we have to deal with as well is that um, uh, uh, people who get vaccines are just more risk averse. Yeah. So this is muddying or the more waters careful, yeah. in, in, in measuring the efficacy. But it does seem that if you are vaccinated, you're about uh, uh, 10 times to 15 times less likely to contract COVID, and you are no more likely to get, at least no more likely to get a serious health outcome. So it does seem to be at least weakly preferable for most people that you vaccinate. Now, again, most of the consequences of this fall on the very, very old, most of whom are already vaccinated. You see this actually, despite the fact that cases of COVID have increased fourfold in Arizona over the last several weeks, we're not seeing an increase in deaths at all. There is no movement. But again, because most of the high-risk population is already dealt with. Is that one of the things the media is shifting, counting hospitalizations instead of deaths? Last year, it was about deaths. That is one thing that that, that has definitely changed, yes. Um, another thing about a hospitalization is that, that they're not created equal, mm-hmm. right? You can be hospitalized for a wide variety of things, and they're not really an apples-to-apples comparison. We still have the problem that if you go in for a knee replacement and you have COVID, you might absolutely. be listed as a COVID patient. Sure. If, if you're then tested and confirmed mm-hmm. for an unrelated reason, you absolutely could have that come up in the data. Now, uh, all of that being acceptable and makes sense to me what you just said. But if I'm wrong, you'll tell me. If you go to the CDC and ask them for the proof of the case for masking the vaccinated, if you go and unless you want to address the masking separately, if you do, which I'll let you do if you want to do that right now. But if if you go to them asking them for the proof of vaccine of masking the vaccinated, they've put out one study. They put it out last Friday. It was in their morbidity report, weekly mor- morbidity report with the case of Provincetown, Massachusetts. Is that what you had sent me in an email earlier yeah, this yeah, today? Yeah, I think you, I'd read you've it. read it. It had 469 COVID cases mm-hmm. in that report. Of the 469, 75% were vaccinated fully. There were a total of five hospitalizations, no deaths. Right. Four of those hospitalizations were fully vaccinated. In other, in other, in other words, eighty percent of the COVID hospitalizations in this study were of the vaccinated. Twenty percent were of the unvaccinated. Now, this may be totally anomalous. My only point is, my only point is, if this is the study they're putting out there to justify masks with the vaccine, they've undercut their argument. For vaccination. I absolutely agree. Um, that, first I of all, I believe the study to be an outlier, but why the hell would they put it out? It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Well, I, I actually, I think it's probably a good thing that they're putting out studies that don't confirm with their pre-existing worldviews. That actually is a positive th- sign for me. But I don't know if they knew that. Right, right. So I'm whether not sure they understood what they were putting out. Right, right. right. So, so that is a wholly different question. Right, whether right. they realized right. that the study, yeah, I don't think they realized what they were saying with right. this study. So. Um, uh, uh, first of all, um, you know, to, to the masking question, I, I, I do think that quite a lot of this has become performative at this point. There's not really a lot of, of uh, sense making really going in behind this. I don't think that carrying a an increasingly wet, snotty cloth in one's pocket for an entire day, putting it on and off in the presence of people is really doing much pe- for, for anybody. Um, 
Well, I think if you want an example of how not to use a mask, you watch the President of the United States, who takes it up and down from the podium, puts it on, puts it, takes it off. And then there was video this morning of his hand, handing his used mask and putting it in the hand of the son of the governor. I mean... Charming? Charming. Charming. How not to handle your mask, how sure. not to dispose of it. Now... One thing that is interesting as we're all going back to school now is this notion of masking um, all the children in schools. Schools will be Which reopen. is a pathological yes. idea. The masking itself does not, does not seem to be terribly efficacious at stopping or reducing the spread. We have now 16, 18 months of experience confirming this. Um, and at this point, you're introducing masks to probably the most psychologically vulnerable subpopulation that we have who desperately need the kinds of human interaction and development that you can't make up next year. You know, if an adult has their lives put on, put on hold by lockdown, you know, we can apply for college next year. We can do these things. But if you're six years old, Seth, and suddenly there's an entire year of, you know, when you are six, where there are no human faces looking at you and expressing normal human expressions to you, that is going to mess you up, and that is going to shadow the current generation of children like a wound through their entire lives. We're going to see it in the demographic data now, I think, in perpetuity going forward, just the echoes of this event and of this bad policy. Marty McCary, who's occasionally on television, is a professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins University, and he said something in a recent op-ed at the Wall Street Journal that I wish people would get to the NEA and the Biden administration, assuming they haven't seen it. I don't know what they do with it. But we all know that the number of children under the age of 18 who have died with or from the coronavirus is 335. That's the number we keep being told by the CDC is the number of children that have died, 335. There's A tragedy, you, but a minuscule proportion of the total. Yeah, but did you know this? Did you know this? The CDC has not done a single study, not a single study, to find out if the death of any of those children was caused from a pre-existing condition or from COVID. Not a single one. This is all children who we know nothing about, except for the fact that they tested positive for COVID when they died. Isn't that an incredible thing? You know it is. Uh, it seems to be letting a lot of, of very outlier data guide policy for everyone in the country. Let me pick up on that with you when we come back, uh, because this question of children being able to transmit the virus is right now, as far as I can tell, nothing more than a talking point. I don't know that there's any fact of it whatsoever. Uh, that that falls in line with everything I've encountered. And, and we should actually talk about well, how this myth started. Right Sorry. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Lewis Hallman is our guest. He is the managing partner of Insight Analytics, LLC. And we talk COVID and domestic politics every Tuesday in our third hour, often with his father here as well. Hugh, Hugh isn't here today. We were talking about the new effort to mask all children going to school, as the CDC is recommending. I was quoting the physician from Johns Hopkins, Marty McCary, earlier, who uh, in the previous segment, 
who was saying of the 355 uh, uh, 18 and under deaths, we have no study from the CDC that says whether the virus was incidental or causal, that is to say whether they had obesity, leukemia, uh, what their comorbidities might have been, what their pre-existing conditions might have been. So he did a research at, uh, study at Johns Hopkins and studied 48,000 children under the age of 18 diagnosed with covid and they found a mortality rate of, of these 48,000 children with COVID, mortality rate of zero among children without pre-existing medical conditions. Zero. Are so, we masking children for them, or are we masking children to make adults feel good about themselves? Uh, more that, yes. We, we are much more masking children as some sort of, sort of to- totem, basically, that by complying with what I have previously described as these uh, 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 witch doctors at the CDC who are are then arbitrarily changing policy back and forth. And so the goal is, you know, comply with what our Brahmin class, these these rulers are are telling us to do, and in the hopes of one day that this this curse will be lifted from the land. The thinking is not going much deeper than that at this point. Can a curse like this ever be lifted from the land? You know, I don't know. It's it, and I, I think anyone who says that they definitely do know is probably lying. Okay. Um, could it theoretically be eradicated in the same way that smallpox was? Possibly. Because that seems to be the goal at this point. You know, it's it's never been – there's not really ever been a consensus from the state officially on what the goal has been. We've always had to kind of infer the goal from whoever – you know, whatever the media is saying at the time. And they have been going, vacillating back and forth between slow the spread, stop the spread, eliminate COVID, purge it from the world forever. You there's know, the pressure on hospitals. Right. You know, we have all of these different purported goals, but there's really no consensus as a society on what it is we're actually trying to do here. And I think that that's part of deranging the conversation. Because if you suspect, right, like I, I think that, that many people on the left might, that the implicit goal – is to rid the world of COVID, and then you can observe all of society is not marching along with this, and that would outrage you pretty naturally because it's betraying what you think that the expectations are for our society. And that we have not made it this explicit is allowing everyone with their own little goal in their heads to continue to think that this is our societal goal and then feel betrayed when we're not making progress towards it. Feel betrayed when we're not making progress towards it, but what about feeling betrayed when we try to do what the government advises, and we get whiplash from contradictory information. Well, here's another here's another interesting thing about that. One of the things that really struck me about the media coverage over the last week was that this vaccination issue was being described by the Washington Post, for instance, as a war between the vaccinated population and the unvaccinated population. And I thought that it was fascinating that we've gone from dealing with this virus, this new threat together as a society, something that we could all rally around, to having a new sort of uh, axis of division that the corporate press can then use to turn us against one another. Because that's all that I've been really reading recently is, hey, you on the left, you should be angry at those on the right for not vaccinating more quickly. Hey, you on the right, you should be angry at those on the left for giving away your civil liberties too easily. Mm-hmm. And Instead of us actually talking about a solution or consensus or what might be tolerable for either side, we are instead being turned against one another and not paying attention to what is actually happening as 
the longest war in American history has just now ended. We are removing ourselves from Afghanistan. And the Patriot Act is, for instance, not being rolled back as a result of this. Mm -hmm. So instead of having the larger strategic conversations about who we are and what we might want, you know, we're stuck fighting back and forth like children because those that we trust to be our sense makers and our leaders have no interest in making sense or leading us anywhere except in conflict with one another. One of the interesting things about that, though, is the breakdown of who's being vaccinated and who isn't. There's an interesting – sometimes the dog that didn't bark is where you got to go as a policy analyst. And it's kind of interesting how much over the past week – how much less over the past week you've seen from administration spokespeople kind of browbeating, if you will – or playing the blame game on vaccination hesitancy. And I think, I think that's because it turns out, uh, so I'm looking at a study from the Kaiser Family Foundation as one, it turns out if you break it down by race, African-American community in America is one of the greatest concerns here of, act, of actual vaccine hesitancy, less so than the white Anglo-Saxon I mean, Protestant Trump supporter. That falls in, you know, in line with what you'd expect. Uh, African Americans typically interface less easily with the healthcare system than virtually any other subpopulation in the country. So, they typically will lag on, um, you know, all, all, all sorts of uh, treatment outcomes, um, you know, insurance access, things like that. And so, so this is really sort of in line with that pattern uh, as well. But one of the other things, though, on that, again, is we've been talking about how different the vaccinated and unvaccinated right. populations are, is that there's this notion that it's conservatives and, old, you know, all of these old boomer Republicans right, right. slowing things down. But those are the vaccinated people. The statistics, you know, we, we've, we've got, done this analysis and we found that, you know, for every, every you know, the, the older that you get, the more likely you are to be vaccinated. People my age are only about 40, you know, vaccinated 40 percent of the time. Whereas someone who is 75 plus is vaccinated over 85 percent of the time. It's a big difference and it has consequences. Yeah, no, we've seen this, too, with um, we, we, we've seen elements of this before, haven't we? We have seen um, we have seen notions of this take place when it comes to universal health care coverage. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It turns out the people who aren't insured do end up costing the system more once you universalize them and mandate it. Well, actually, that's a really great illustration, Seth. Mm -hmm. And it is for a couple of reasons, yeah. because it, that, that illustration problem actually really well overlays sort of the vaccine, non-vaccinated kind okay. of dichotomy that we're seeing. And that with traditional medical insurance, you've got a race to the bottom from the insurance provider side or perspective as Basically, the only people who, who want your insurance are those who are disproportionately likely to be sick and need it. Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones that are then costing all of the money and using all of the services. Analogously, and the healthy people are the ones that then don't end up buying insurance by and large. Uh, but what's happened, though, is that now we have all of the sick people, the ones most likely to come who have gotten it, leaving the unvaccinated population as the less risky, not using the services. Can I ask you when we come back a little bit more about the way we're describing this? I'm getting reports. Well, Seth, how can you say this with people saying new cases are spiking? Spiking. So, for example, in Arizona, 1,800 new cases reported yesterday. Is that a spike? I mean, we're used to seeing numbers, not that we're happy about it, but is that a spike when we were dealing with ten and 11,000 cases? Let's bring it in and we'll talk about Let's it more talk seriously. talk about that when we come back. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 602-508-0960 is our number. Lewis Holman is our guest from Inside Analytics, LLC. Uh, well, uh, we'll get to his question, uh, the question I had about case spikes in just a moment. First, let's go to Jeff in Phoenix. Jeff, hi. You're on with Lewis Holman. Hey, how's it going? Well, thank you. First, um, just wanted to reiterate, um, this vaccine is only under emergency approval, first of all. And so that means it hasn't gone through the approval process like almost every other pharmaceutical or even over-the-counter drug that you take. Um, so it isn't a, um, it's not a, it's an experimental vaccine. So my question is, um, you cannot, and they, they don't, this, uh, basically there's a law or whatever it is. You can't sue Pfizer or anything. If you get hurt from this vaccine or anything like this, or sue any of these people. Now these employers, if they force you to take your job or take the vaccine or whatever, can you sue the employer? Because you can't sue, um, the actual manufacturer because that's, part of the agreement they made with the government. Do you know about that? I'll give you my guess of an answer, and it's only a guess, and I'll let Lewis uh, uh, take a shot at it, too. My only guess at this is we're going to see an unveiling of a lot of litigation. My only guess at this is we are going to have a tort attorney's dream with these mandates. That's as far as I can say right now. In other words, I don't know whether you can make a, 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 a triable claim or not, but there's going to be an absolute massive effort to try and make those cases. And I think the courts are going to be clogged up for years on this stuff. Right now, our courts are clogged up uh, already on COVID case on COVID issues. Can't say cases. And 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 one of them, one of them, I had the attorney on uh, representing him yesterday, Alex Culloden. One of them is a teacher in Phoenix Union who's trying to sue the district and saying that they are not complying with Arizona's constitution and the orders of the governor. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, But I don't know. It's really a question I'm going to have to ask one of my friends at Snell and Wilmer, Brett Johnson or someone. But, Lewis, do you have a thought on this? You know, you've got the wrong wrong Hallman for this question. Uh, There are two others others that are attorneys, and I am just not one of them. But I I am almost absolutely positive you're going to see uh, the tort attorneys uh, rubbing their hands over this. Not ringing them, rubbing them, Jeff. But I I will uh, make a point of getting an answer that's a little more learned than that, okay? Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Hey, I just had another question. Sure. Um, do you know who uh, a person named Clay Clark is? Blake Clark? Clay Clark. No. Uh, well, I've heard him say something. And it, it, have you heard about the fact that the coronavirus is patented? No. That Bill Gates owns a patent on the coronavirus? You haven't heard that? No. No. Well... That is something that's out there that I want to <laughs> There's a lot out there. We're going to need to do a little better than people no one's heard of making allegations. Jeff, send me something on it, and I'll take a look. <laughs> the issue of pan- patenting, though, things, um, it, it, I know I know that, that the government patents a lot of things to try and get ownership of it once it's discovered. And whether Bill Gates owns a patent to this or not, I, I have not heard that. But send me something on it. Some, send me something on it from... Uh, from someplace that um, that I can chase it down and research it. Did you have another thought on that? No, no. I, I was just going to uh, move to the question of are we in a spike? Yeah, so the case point? spike issue. 
We uh, in in America have a rolling seven-day average of 85,000 cases. Is that a spike? I mean, I remember times last year when we were doing rolling averages of 300,000 cases. Right. So so the way I would phrase it is this, is that um, it's actually – so you, if you define a spike simply by there are more cases yesterday than there were today, then yes, we are in a spike right now. Okay. But if your question is more subtle, is it are we in a worse place in the pandemic now than we were, say, three months ago? My answer would be no, we are not. Even uh, So the, the big pieces of evidence I have for that are even though the cases are going up, we're not seeing high consequences from that. We've got enough vaccinated elderly and res- vulnerable population that is a matter of consequence. We are not being harmed as a society to the degree that we were, even though we're seeing cases go up. We're seeing flat death rates. Okay, good. Thank you. Uh, best I just did on a quick Google search was uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation announced that they are trying to lift coronavirus vaccine patent protections. That's the only thing that I saw that came up, and that was true in May. So at least as of May, doesn't look like the Gates has had a patent. I don't know how I, – I don't know patent law and how that works. We now have two questions for the lawyers, uh, which we will do. We'll get to them uh, tomorrow. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Lewis Hallman, 602 We'll be right back. Brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. Leave the heating out for now. Gosh knows. But for any air conditioning or plumbing needs you may have 24-7, Monday through Monday. That is to say Monday through Sunday, 24-7, Cool Touch is there for you. Trust me, I know. I've had to use them on <laughs> those off hours on weekends. They're great. And their customer service is great. It's the kind of small business you'd create if you could create the small business of your dreams. Cool Touch Air Conditioning and Plumbing. For all your air conditioning and plumbing needs, whether it's inspection, repair, replacement, they also have a great new product right now with an air conditioning system that instead of turning on and off to maintain the temperature you like, acts as if it's got a dimmer switch, which reduces those continual surges that are needed to turn that AC unit on and off to maintain your temperature. Gives you the greatest amount of savings with of course, the most comfortable living environment. But if it's that system or any other, please give my friends at Cool Touch a call at 623-734-1932 or visit them online at cooltouchac.com for all your air conditioning and plumbing needs. It's the company I, my friends, and my family use. Lewis Hallman is our guest in studio. Lewis, you are I'm not giving away too much uh, private information. Technically, a millennial. I am technically a millennial. One of the things I have learned over the years, rightly or wrongly, I learned it. You can tell me if I'm wrong. From political communications experts, is that when addressing millennials, when people who are older than millennials address millennials, one of the things they must keep in the forefront of their mind is that millennials don't trust the older generations. They don't trust the government. They feel that they have been lied to again and again and again by their elders. They start with a level of distrust. I'm just wondering, A, if that's true by and large or generally, and B, if that's true, how do you judge the way the government has instructed the millennials on their behavior for COVID mitigation? So I I don't know that 
millennials have this inherent skepticism. Okay. I would challenge it because I think it's a little more nuanced than okay. that. I think that they have been largely trained to have sort of this age-based skepticism. Okay. But not an authority-based skepticism. Okay. okay. So by that, I mean they have an, they define themselves very often oppositionally. So rather than having concrete principles or values, they'll see what sins they they argue the older generation committed and then make themselves principally in opposition to that. So it's a very reactive almost moral strategy that uh-huh. you see. Um, but as, as to how the government has communicated with us, I, I don't know that it has really tried explicitly to talk to millennials as a, as a generation. Um, this is what, who you'd want to talk to if you're wanting to talk about vaccination. Well, it right? depends, right? Who I would want to talk to would be the elderly because I'd want them vaccinated. I wouldn't actually care whether or not millennials okay. got vaccinated Fair because enough. consequentially it doesn't really matter. But since Joe Biden seems since to Joe care. Since Joe Biden seems to care. Um, you know, uh, I'd give him an F. I I don't know what he's done specifically to talk to millennials to try and induce their behavior. You know, I, I, I certainly think that a lot of the messaging about vaccinating generally is not powerfully done. It's browbeating. It's generally not compelling. And it's this weird milk toast shaming tone generally but isn't it inherently self-contradictory as well i mean right now the message from the administration is everyone get a vaccination get a vaccination and after you're vaccinated you also wear a mask but get the vaccination and the mask so that you who have the delta virus the delta variant of the virus don't transmit it do you know what we don't have we don't have a report from the CDC showing that the Delta variant can be transmitted by the vaccinated. We have this thing from Provincetown from last Friday, mm-hmm. which shows viral loads are similar in the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. It does not say anywhere in that report. It doesn't say it that the vaccinated can transmit the virus. So, so part of this also is this continual game of like cover up and pass the blame on behalf of the state, right? So the idea that also, you know, if, if you are the state, historical grievances are not the ones typically that get drudged up. It's typically the ones from the most immediate news cycle. And so all you have to do very often is just survive the news cycle. And it doesn't matter what inconsistency, contradiction. I think you're totally right about that. Said. I think you're absolutely. As long as they can get through the week, 95 percent of people will have either forgotten or won't care enough to make a fuss. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, because a week ago, Joe Biden said at a CNN town hall that if you get vaccinated, you're not going to get the virus and you're not going to die. Right. He may be right about the second part. We don't know enough yet, but he's not right about the first. And I just have to say one more thing to you, Lewis, which is once comes all this changing of mind based on new information and coronavirus changing. Joe Biden said in May, if you are vaccinated, you don't need to mask Let me repeat, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to mask. We knew about the Delta variant in December, and it was in America in March, months before. This, Seth, I think is why I said earlier that the media is trying to divide us between warring camps of vaccinated and unvaccinated rather than talking about this and make this a social problem between the two groups rather than a social problem between the two groups that's mediated by the state. Because by taking the state out of their commentary, they're not they're not 
sort of uh, 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 they're making it the Republicans fault that we're not all vaccinated, not some combination of factors. Right. And so by doing this and framing it in this way of a of a cultural or political war, they're actually keeping the state out of everyone's line of fire in this and having us blame one another. And so many Republicans are just mad at Democrats generically, but not Joe Biden specifically. Right. Many Republican. I'm sorry. Many many Democrats are mad at Republicans specifically, but not the upper echelons of the state. Right. right? There's there's no there's no target there because the whole point of a lot of this publication and a lot of this communication about, you know, who we should be blaming and who's causing all of this for us and who's responsible for the ills of our society is precisely so that we don't turn our ire to the people who deserve it, which is Joe Biden and the CDC and Andrew Fauci and everyone else here. I guess I want to go to break saying one thing about that. There's not a Republican senator that has discouraged vaccinations. Both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris said last year that if Donald Trump gives you the vaccine, gives me the vaccination, I'm not taking it. I just want people to remember that. I just want people to remember that. We'll have a concluding thought when we come back. Therefore, if you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Let me repeat, if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Thanks for spending uh, some time with us. There's this very important question someone raised yesterday and we've been answering, a lot of you have been answering, which is, has a single book or a series of books ever changed your life? If so, what were they? Uh, one of the more literate people I know is Lewis Holman. I'll give my answer on Friday, but I wanted to know if that, Lewis, uh, if you had a book or two that, or three that have changed your life. Uh, I've had several books that have changed my life. Uh, the first when I was a boy was Sun Tzu Art of War, Sun Tzu's Art of War when I was about nine years old. Uh, I'd always loved history and I wanted to figure out how, you know, how those generals won those awe-inspiring victories. And so when I was in fourth grade, I found the manual. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Art of War. Yes, indeed. Uh, the The other one I would say that has really formatively impacted me was any book written by Nassim Taleb. Oh, yeah. Who Originally is, the Black Swan yes, author. Yes, the Black Swan. Uh, actually, it, wa- it wasn't the Black Swan. It was another one that he wrote first. The Black Swan is the second okay. in the series. Um, Fooled by Randomness is the first one. Okay. Uh, and he is a... a brilliant analyst, um, currently I think teaches at Columbia, was a stock trader. He not only sort of saw coming the 2008 financial crash, um, but he is one of the most incisive minds on how numbers work and how you should then think about the world in consequence of that. And the great thing about his books is that you don't need a strong math background to understand them. If you're just generally well-read or well-educated, that's that's enough. Any Anyone with a liberal arts background can make his way through all of Nassim Taleb's works. They're worth reading. Nice. You ever become a? Were you ever a fan of Richard Feynman's? Oh sure, yeah, I like Feynman. Feynman, um, Paul good. Kennedy's Rise and Fall of the Great Powers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lewis Holman, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure, Seth. You betcha. We will hang together on this, or we will hang separately, as Benjamin Franklin once said. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and class dismissed.